Anyone who wants to ask Alok Bhai anything? I think there is... Uh... We say things such as uh, Mukti from the cycle of birth and death. Um, I wonder if there is something you could tell us. Yes. What is death doing? Maintain some kind of existence after death? Are we then as an entity born again? Or what is the mystery? Okay. Um, actually, it has been the subject of one of my book, which got published a few years back, Death, Dying and Beyond. Death and life are not two opposites. I'm speaking of from a spiritual perspective, of course, and even from a scientific perspective. But death is a process of life. Even if we look at uh, a human being uh, in a particular lifespan, each cell dies several times. And it dies so that new cells can come up. Otherwise, you know, when cells don't die, then we have diseases, dangerous diseases. So death is a process of life so that new life can spring forth and take new form. This happens in our body several times. It happens not only physically but psychologically. Psychologically from childhood to adulthood, many times certain views, certain ideas, certain ways of feeling, thinking, reacting dies. But what comes in its place is something new, something different. And if we extend this logic further, we see that this change from death to life in one single lifetime has a directionality. It's not that, you know, randomly things come, but there is an evolution that happens within one lifetime. So, for instance, a child believes, uh, just to take a little example, seven-year-old, they think, my papa, best, most knowledgeable, <laughs> my mama is best. But then they grow up and they, you know, that slowly goes away. They are good, but, you know, they are not the best. And then they begin to feel, my friend, the person whom I love, that is the best. And then they grow up and then they discover, no, that's not what it is. And slowly, they begin to discover through all this um, relationship with different forms, the essence of love, the, the best within everything. If one is destined to go you know, continue evolving in one single lifetime, as we were reading, the power of love which found itself only in relation with the mother or the father, which is the first, you know, movement of love, can end up finding love not only in a God who is beyond, but in entire creation, the whole journey. But for this journey to take place several times, those ideas and frameworks within which this energy is trapped breaks. Many times this breaking may be a shock. Some people, you know, experience what is called as disillusionment and they go to the next level. So one wonders why then so many times these illusions have to take place and again disillusionment and then you travel. Because just as a little seed cannot grow into a tree, it has to go through several phases. Uh, so therefore, we too in our process of evolution have to go through several phases. So we have to first hold on to certain concepts, ideas, because at that stage, that's how we can handle. We cannot handle the vastness. Uh, take an instance that a seed has to grow into a tree. And what does it need? It needs light, among other things. It needs 
breeze, wind, air, it needs space, it needs, um, uh, you know, all these elements to grow, water. But see the irony of it, that the seed in its first phase has to experience the very opposite. It has to go inside the soil where there is hardly any space, it's crammed up. It can hardly have the direct rays of the sun, they have to percolate through a whole thick layer. Even the breeze, it would be suffocating. The water comes through many, many layers. So, you know, someone may say, why don't, since the seed needs these things, why not right in the beginning I expose it to the sun and put a lot of water. Now we know, a good farmer knows, they will die. So he says, don't do this, till the soil buried deep. Now this process, our evolution is also in a two-stage process. The first is evolution through darkness, ignorance, what is called in the Upanishads is avidya. And the next is an evolution through vidya, through oneness, through knowledge. Knowledge in the spiritual sense, not intellectual knowledge, but the experience of the oneness in creation. So this first phase is a phase when we don't know, and yet we are moving towards that. There's the beauty, as we read just now, that even in our ignorance, even when we forget to aspire, even in our darkness, and I take this example that when we sleep in a train or in a flight, I sleep off. What does it mean? I am not traveling? Of course I am traveling because there is a pilot who is taking me. And when I wake up, someone tells me, oh, it's Melbourne, you are close to Sydney. Now, I travel without any conscious effort. But when I come, there is a part of the journey which some effort I have to make. But the chunk of journeys, we are carried because there is an impulsion in life towards that. So death comes because we can progress to a certain point in one particular form and name. By life we mean here, life confined to a certain form and name. It's a crystallization. Every form and name is a crystallization of something which is formless in a sense, something which is unique and real, so it crystallizes. Something which is infinite crystallizes as a finite. In the process of crystallization, it at one level helps because it makes things manageable in bits and parts. But at another level, it becomes a problem because by crystallization, we limit. The infinite is limited to finite. Now, this is a paradox, the biggest paradox of creation, the infinity limiting itself to finite names and forms. So in a particular lifetime, we can progress to a certain point because even if our minds can progress, our bodies become rigid. And even if the spirit is young, as the Bible says, the flesh is weak, it cannot go beyond a point. So the evolutionary force shatters the frame and comes in a new form. A form which is better by form not only physical but even mind thoughts, thoughts are forms, feelings are forms and more adapted to carry the evolutionary impulsion further. So death is a process of life in the, form, in the, in the sense that it gives an evolutionary leap. Suddenly after death we come back, it's, it's, I put it semi-humorously, bit ironically, that it's the most complete, perfect organ transplant of nature and free of cost. You know, we are born in new surroundings, we are born, and that's why we forget, because if we remember, we can't, you know, we'll be tied again the same things. Oh, I was born in, you know, so-and-so place, I was in such and such religion. So divine takes that away, or the process of nature takes it away, so that we can move forward. So death becomes a necessity in the evolutionary march when we are tied to the outpost of ignorance. 
and there is a point of time just as a seed comes out of this need to be inside the mud and it becomes open to the vastness so in our evolutionary journey we reach a point where our consciousness no more needs these layers and covers it no more needs religions it no more needs cults paths or beliefs non beliefs it no more needs them ideas concepts perceptions but is ready to open to an infinity which is beyond and then the evolution takes a different form then death is not loss of memory but we simply change a form consciously so we have in the upanishads these two phases of evolution beautifully described in ishupanishad says there is an evolution in avidya and then in vidya now very often these two phases in traditional thought are you know taken in this way that once your evolution in avidya is over through the sense of ego through division through separation through ignorance then you are ready to go into the vidya so you can just break free from all entry into form and straight away merge into the infinite that's what is called as mukti in the original sense so merging into the infinite it was believed you can no more take a finite form and body because they are a paradox by the very fact you take a body you lose that infinity by the very fact you take an embodied mind you lose that infinity so it's a big paradox and no doubt it's very challenging i'm sticking it in the deepest sense not the way mukti is understood nowadays that life is very painful get rid of it by some path well nobody can get rid of life like that how much ever one may meditate as long as we have not been able to face the challenge and struggle of life we are not really ready for the next step in the vedas is beautifully described as diti and aditi both are sisters diti is the divisive dark mother and shubhendra says in savitri in whose folds we have hit from to uh, shift and awakening to the light because we'll be scared like a child has to slowly open the eyes so first diti nourishes us and then aditi aditi is undivided infinite consciousness divine mother she is undivided infinite consciousness therefore she is aditi in sanskrit literally means undivided aditi and diti is divided so the sons of diti are daityas and sons of adities are adityas so they are the gods who are living in the consciousness of unity whereas daityas living in a consciousness of division therefore they are always fighting so uh, shurvindo brings in this that well if that be the case that when we enter into vidya oneness we cannot take a human form at all then you know creation can never be redeemed because always individuals will pass on into the beyond so he says it's possible why does the form degenerate because it is not able to it becomes rigid and crystallizes it is not able to follow the movement let's say of progress of the mind of the life impulse which can really expand into infinite horizons but the body becomes more and more rigid there are people who have actually experienced the infinite consciousness but physically they are even if they travel a little outside the body is not able to adapt because you know physical you know it's built of a certain formation so the whole search or research of mother and shubhendra was that can this form also become so plastic that it can absolutely adapt to the demands of an infinite consciousness you know this form can break this spirituality is very often people think it's very good for you know uh, it's like a retired life but uh, the mother and shubhendra used to say no don't look at it like that 
it is a great labor. So ashram word Shobinda has used, but he gave a different meaning. He said it's not ashram where one comes, uh, you know, because uh, life is very painful to bear. He says it's a place of labor, shram. So labor of another kind. Labor that how an infinite consciousness can be contained in a limited finite body. It's a big challenge. And therefore in Shurabindu Ashram there is a lot of stress on physical education for example. Because otherwise the form will break down. Many instances have taken place and Swami Vivekananda used to say that you know youth should learn to play football rather than read the Gita. But if the form cannot adapt it will break down under the pressure of that consciousness, that light, that power. It will be like throwing the seed suddenly to the sun. And that's why Shurabindu and the mother never believed in creating a mass movement of the kind which one normally finds. It's through evolution that we get ready for that consciousness. So they found that as long as this body is formed under the stress of the mental consciousness, which is a divided consciousness, though it's wonderfully built, it will be prone to error, accident, suffering, and it cannot really share the infinity of the spirit. So in that process they found that, well, can the infinite consciousness change this body into a new form, a form which is as plastic, as supple, as luminous as the Divine Himself. So that process of transmutation of this form and bringing out of it that new consciousness which is hidden inside, it is described in the Rig Vedas, not going into it, but in the concept of the eight sons of Aditi and one of them is cast into the earth, Marthand, who must struggle and battle with night and come out. And in uh, Christian traditions, for instance, a new kingdom, a kingdom of heaven on earth, it is there. It is there in the Bible, it is there in the Vedas, it is there in the Ramayana, in some ancient traditions like the Kabbalah, but hinted, glimpsed, even in, you know, Vaishnava um, cults, in the process, in, in the concept of a Chinmay Deh, uh, a luminous body. So it's there, but as seed. Now that seed, Sri and the mother carry to its farthest possibility that it's possible for that consciousness to transmute this physical stuff into a new body which will be completely adapted to the new consciousness. Now again, um, what is the proof of it? So you say, look at creation. Every time, you know, mind and life are involved in matter. Because if they were not involved, they cannot emerge. And this is a question, I was reading a very interesting book, The End of Science. It is written by a science journalist. And he says there is one question which science grapples with and just cannot answer. And that question is why there is something in the universe instead of nothing. I mean, why there is something in the universe instead of nothing. Because if at the beginning there is nothing, how something, even an object, is coming into existence? So it's a very, very difficult question and many scientists have tried to answer it in their own way. But nothing, you know, there has to be something out of which things are emerging. And looking at the variety and scope, we can well say that it's not just a limited finite consciousness, but a vast, at least a vast intelligence and consciousness which are at the root of things. So it throws up its higher and higher degrees. So at each level, the physical form changes to adapt to the level of consciousness. So material forms we know are material forms because the consciousness is only manifested this much. In animals, a new possibility comes in matter of running, jumping, crawling, climbing, mating, all this comes. It is the same matter. 
because life has come out life has come out from where it was involved universe breathes but we don't call it breathing now that possibility emerges in matter then out of that mind comes in mind comes and therefore the form also changes we stand erect nature knew that we will one day use the remote so you know it made this change little change it had already foreseen it <laughs> and perhaps and we saw that this will be the end of the mental age because you know this is the first change which came the homo sapiens to direct again symbol that we are not all the time looking down and like this we have capacity of a binocular vision where we can unite things so this is unique to man that he can look up to the sky in this way which you know is so difficult for an animal consciousness so man became a symbol of mind which is here at the same time looking there now again out of mental consciousness a deeper supramental consciousness that is struggling to emerge and when that emerges fully first in the mind then in the heart will and eventually in the very flesh then every act of us whatever we name we call it will be an act of truth an act of god an act of love an act of harmony an act of beauty and act of ananda so this is what should be there said and then death will no more be necessary because we will not need to go through the process of an oblivion and shattering of the form the same form even if we find it very boring let's say 1000 years the same form we can change it very consciously directly without passing through a phase of oblivion even create a new form out of ourselves when shobindo wrote this way back then people must have wondered what is he speaking and today you know with cloning we are beginning to understand this possible out of one form another form to emerge without the process of sexual reproduction and shobindo speaks about it in one of his writings that science will discover ways through which you can because the problem with sexual reproduction is that there is a certain loss and this can be direct process but here is not just talking of just physically taking some cells a human being or whatever supramental being can create out of his body another body for inhabitation so it is of course they have said this will take 1000 years to unfold and i take it that this is a divine project on which we are engaged for the next 1000 years it's very beautiful to feel like that and its wages are delight because after all it's a delight to work for but once that happens it would mean that on earth permanently we will have the presence of the divinity in form all the time see one of the big problems of humanity is that whenever the divine incarnates whether in the form of krishna or buddha or christ he has to come and then go away and what is left behind is a splendid name a temple a church and a path but all this cannot sum up to one single life contact with that source imagine i mean i always say that you know people give talks on even mother and shobindo and i said just imagine that in a hall if suddenly buddha were to walk or krishna or christ or shobindo were to actually walk what will be our experience what will be our questions what will be our issues now why this doesn't happen the mother tells us that every time the divine has incarnated on earth the only reason he incarnates is to transform matter and these hints are there in indian scriptures abundant hints is there in the bible if you read it with that light and you know shelley dreamed about this new city of gold 
and John of Patmos saw this. So there are hints and glimpses everywhere. But they remain hints and glimpses. What later on becomes is a religion. And uh, man has to again take that deep inner road and path. and So it's so, so much struggle. So otherwise divine doesn't have to really take a human body. Because you know he can govern everything from above with his vast impersonal consciousness. He takes matter, material body, which we read earlier, a passage, so that matter can be transformed. So this is the story of these successive incarnations, but this time the mother speaks about it, that this is the time which has come when humanity has arrived at a point where it can not just find divinity inside, but embody it in an earthly body. So then death will no more be necessary. So this is the inner significance of death as a process of life, a change through which we evolve and not as a means of reward and punishment. Freedom or mukti is necessary, but not freedom from life and death, but freedom from ignorance, error, division and darkness. That is the real freedom. That was the sense in which Upanishads and Vedas speak about freedom. There is a very beautiful um, series of, you know, each Upanishad contains certain uh, pair of slokas. So one pair is where it says, those who go into birth, plunge into a darkness. Those who go into non-birth, go into a greater darkness. Because that is the other half. You have to learn to link the two. And so what is the path? It says, Veda, Vidyancha, Vidyancha, Yast Saha. While you live in a domain of avidya, yet you are all the time consciously united with vidya, with that one infinite consciousness. And then you become an instrument to manifest that oneness upon earth. Otherwise, we only perpetuate division. And its result is struggle, suffering, quarrels, and you know we are seeing all that, Bosnia, Somalia, and Iraq, and everything else. But we can create that new life upon earth. And that was Sri effort. He not only did that effort, saw it, worked for it, attempted it, but as we believe, the mother actually achieved it and we have to just open ourselves and walk that path. And very beautifully, that vision is also captured. Uh, maybe with every question, we can take a little few lines of Savitri with which we can end. In vision and the boon, Shobindu speaks about this coming of the new being. It is Book 3, Canto 4. Of course, first Shobindu speaks about this anguish and agony. See, Shobindo is very near to us because he embodies the anguish and agony of the globe. And he is very far because he brings a vision from the beyond which we have the anguish but not the answer. So what is this anguish? He says, The aeons ever repeat their changeless round. The cycles all rebuild and ever aspire. All we have done is ever still to do. All breaks and all renews and is the same. This is what we observe. Death and rebirth and you know, that's famous. Punarapi janamam, punarapi maranam, punarapi janani jathare shainam. He says, what is this life? It keeps on renewing itself, the same. Though there is a slow evolution. The newborn huge revolutions of life's fruitless jair. The newborn ages perish like the old, as if the sad enigma kept its right 
till all is done for which this scene was made. Too little the strength that now with us is born, too faint the light that steals through nature's lids, too scant the joy with which she buys our pain. Look at the sensitivity of this poetry. Forget about everything else. Who could feel that pain in the human? It's not just an individual pain, cosmic pain. If you really look on a vaster canvas, this is it. That the sad enigma keeps its right. But then, he says, Baffled and beaten back, we labor still. Annulled, frustrated, spent, we still survive. In anguish we labor, that from us may rise a larger seeing man with nobler heart, a golden vessel of the incarnate truth. This is his answer. That human beings, unless they change their consciousness, all good talks will remain good talks. We all have been hearing since childhood, do good, love this and be kind, but we are not able to do because our consciousness is built on division. Our vision is separative. So unless that changes, as the mother says, the future lies in a change of consciousness. And then she says, and the change is bound to come, but it is left to men to decide whether they will collaborate with the change or the change is thrust upon them by the power of crashing circumstances. So we see the crashing circumstances. And then on the next page, this is page 342-343, he speaks of what he has seen, it's like a prophetic vision. And first he sees the dance of destruction, which we witness today. A giant dance of Shiva tore the past. The past is gone. And today's children live in an air, breathe an air, where they don't believe our concepts. Because they are actually beyond concepts in certain ways. But we try to, you know, put them in a frame. They don't like the frames. So giant dance of Shiva tears the past and then he hears, sees battle and war cry and then he sees out of all that darkness, I saw the omnipotence, flaming pioneers, the birth of new age children and this is a whole beautiful passage and then it ends with this prophetic vision. Although fate lingers in the high beyond and the work seems vain on which our heart's force was spent, all shall be done for which our pain was born. Even as of old man came behind the beast, just as man emerged out of animal. This high divine successor surely shall come behind man's inefficient mortal pace, behind his vain labor, sweat and blood and tears. He shall know what mortal mind barely does think. He shall do what the heart of the mortal could not dare. He shall take on him the burden of the gods. The might of heaven shall fortify earthly hearts. Earth's deeds shall touch the superhuman's height. Earth's seeing widen into the infinite. So this is the new being of which he spoke. Until it comes, we have to pass through death as an inevitable process of growth and regeneration and new life. So all darkness is the beginning of a new dawn. All destruction is creation's hasty pace. And death is only a room in the vast house of life. So this is the, you know, 
larger background there was one more question which i'll just touch up um, quickly that about savitri uh, what really is savitri why he chose savitri legend now uh, in india this um, the truth that the seers found they expressed it in many forms on one side there are very deep occult readings of the rigveda the ancient of scriptures which is very difficult to connect with because it's about such deep and profound occult experiences where that many people ended up you know making a mishmash of it for instance they thought vedas are speaking about fire worship and they started lighting an outer fire but vedas are about an inner fire and we don't see the inner fire so people could not connect with the whole journey of the inner fire which makes the crooked straight so vedic in the vedas the truth was given as a double symbol those who caught the outer symbol preserved the truth they were not really doing anything but preserving it because they were just creating an external symbol whereas those who found the inner symbol evolved by it so like cow cow word comes from go and people thought that in the vedic age people worshiped the cow and they gave a very good meaning that because cow after all you know it gives us milk and nice things so we should worship it but actually the word go also means light so many words gopal gupt golok all this actually comes from the word go which means light so gopal the guardian of the light gop gopi the keepers of the light gupt the hidden light so you know all these words come from that one word go so the vedic rishis aspired for go for light not for cows so you know in the vedas there was a double symbol for horse strength even now we use the word in physics horse power so you know horse was symbol of strength so they used this double way then later on for simplifying it they used another medium and that was the medium of stories so the puranas came and each purana contained a very deep truth but in the milk of myth because human beings could easily digest that you know it's easy to take it and again many people understood it superficially many discarded it superficially but those who could find the key found in it very deep and profound meanings in that series the number of stories each symbolic in its own way it's a very favorite subject and i am resisting the temptation to go into it you know for days one could speak upon the stories in the bhagavat for instance the ramayana itself is an evolutionary parable from monkey kind to a human kind Uh, the mahabharata is about an evolutionary battle between the forces of darkness and light and then we have this uh, famous tales of immortality because vedic rishis were very keen to discover the principle of immortality the perfect consciousness so they gave it in the form of many parables and the birth of savitri the legend took place when yudhishthir is you know moving around after losing his kingdom everything he has done a most stupid thing which you know you don't expect a man of his stature to do and well he is obviously anguished and he goes into the hermitage of a sage called markande markande is one of the immortals and he says markande i have only one question in my mind uppermost what is it sir tell me he says well you know dropdi is such a wonderful lady she is a good person i know she has genuine love in her heart she is like a goddess in every way she has looked after her mother in law five husbands makes it so difficult even to look after one husband and here are five of us 
and she has done all this faithfully, lovingly, never ever complained. And she had to go through this ignominy, this suffering, this humiliation. And then he asked his question, is there anyone who has ever suffered so much and who has been as good as Draupadi? I mean, suffering, people have suffered, but good people suffering. So Markande says, yes, there is one in a previous cycle who not only suffered, but conquered. So he gives the story of Savitri. So the story at the very first outset, the rough story everybody knows, Savitri and Satyavan, Savitri. Savitri is born out of a yagna to King Ashupati and actually a king existed. Was the, the story of Ashupati is itself interesting, but that apart. So he does a yagna and gets a daughter. She is born from the heavens, descends from heaven. And Savitri literally means the daughter of the light of the sun. So she is the child of the sun which means she is born of the truth, incarnated upon earth. And when she comes of age, the king tells her, as was the custom in very far back, liberal, ultra-liberal India, that the girl would go and choose for her whom she wants to get married. So she, he says, now you are grown up, please go and choose. So she goes, and whom does she choose of all the people? She sees a woodcutter in the forest and she says, here is the one, her heart, you know, chooses him. And she comes back and tells, look, I have made my choice. Here is a man by the name of Satyavan. Again, the name is symbolic, one who holds truth. But he holds truth, but he is lost in the forest of life. He is the son of a king, but the king is outcast from his kingdom, Dhyumatsena, and he is blind. And he is obviously suffering from an adverse fate. But still he is a very good boy. So just when she enters, Narada comes. And they all say, oh, you have come at the right time. Please tell us something about this man. So Narada looks at the Kundali and he says, hey, wonderful. Never seen such a wonderful person on earth. There is only one problem. He is a very fine boy. Good choice, Savitri. His other things doesn't matter that he was a king once, etc. But, you know, after one year he is going to die. So, the queen tells Savitri, Savitri, Please, we used to tell you that you are blind. You will make a stupid choice. Go back and choose again. Otherwise, we are going to put an ad in the newspapers. And Shurabindo in Savitri brings out some very, very powerful words. Savitri says, Once my heart has chosen, it chooses not again. And then she says, If this is fate, I will challenge fate. Now, at the very beginning, Savitri is a complete contrast to all that has been imposed upon the Indian psyche that, you know, Indians are all fatalistic and Indian religion is all about karma and you have done in the past so you have to suffer. No. In India, there was a line of thought that fate can be changed. How it can be changed? By understanding the machinery of fate and by finding the key from which fate originates. So, Savitri's legend is at once interesting because one, it fulfills the Vedic quest of immortality. It teaches us that adversity is an opportunity. It teaches us how we can master and conquer the greatest of impossibilities, death. What adverse fate can there be? One can understand that if you are going to get become a pauper, you suddenly invest in some good shares and you become rich instead. Wise investment. But death, is it really fixed? Is destiny fixed? Shobindo says no. 
destiny and determinisms go together and depending on the place where you are you can change destiny and the mother gives very interesting example supposing we drop an object and we can predict that it will land on the ground because that's the law but supposing as it drops a hand comes holds it and takes it up now this new determinism has changed and carried it up rather than falling down now this is because a new factor came in so this idea in indian thought that destiny can be changed comes very very powerfully in savitri the third aspect of savitri which is very interesting is that whenever we speak of divine somehow we keep saying he 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 the passive aspect of divinity who is he the silent the unthinkable the alone sitting on some mountain peaks so this is the concept image of divine but there is another side of the same divine the feminine aspect in indian thought it is there but not that i mean indian thought is still celebrated but generally it is not celebrated but that same divine when he leans into creation it's a power which has gone into creation so that power is the feminine side of divine the shakti the adi shakti and savitri is an incarnation of adi shakti so that's another very beautiful thing about savitri that it's about the incarnation of the divine as mother of the divine shakti we always talk about divine incarnations as all of them who are you know as an aside a little humorous little anecdote someone once asked me that look all these incarnations saints sages all of them seem to be or by and large masculine men so is it because spirituality is deficient in women so <laughs> so the answer that came spontaneously because that's what mother and shivindo in their life we learn i said no on the contrary it is much more so they men when they become little spiritual they begin to babble they start giving lectures they go around and you know they love to be eulogized and canonized but women they will become even more quiet go in the background start serving because for them spirituality is an act of self giving to creation so women never like to profess themselves as saintly they love to clothe themselves in the most ordinary beings and yet remain deeply spiritual so this is a beauty now in this we find in savitri so beautiful with this you know savitri has fought a battle with whom with death and changed satyavan's destiny satyavan shivinda describes in this that he goes one evening it's a very touching description so you know he tells uh, his parent that i want no savitri knows that he is going to die but he she doesn't tell to anyone she prepares herself for this day she does that yoga awakens all the powers reclaims her inner divinity and is now ready to conquer death but till date she has not breathed a word about her suffering to those who are around because you know old parents they will die of this thought so even her humanity shobindo says was half divine she doesn't breathe about she doesn't complain she looks after them but inwardly she is going through that process of agony and preparation so on the fated day she tells the parents that look uh, i have to go and uh, i have not really seen the forest after our honeymoon i have never really ventured out can i go with him today she doesn't say that today is some day and some great thing may happen or may not happen and parents say okay you go so she ventures with him and 
every moment she is treasuring when satyavan is cutting with the axe the tree and she is waiting for that hour and she senses then suddenly an ominous presence like a dread around and satyavan experiences pain in the heart and then she, he says that look savitri i have been so far cutting this tree but today i feel all that pain that i have been giving to the tree is inside me very beautifully all this is described in shrivindu's epic and then he falls to the ground and just says i don't know something is happening to me and lies in savitri's lap and becomes unconscious so he has become unconscious then death comes and savitri follows death and death carries her layer after layer and death says look don't come further you are not allowed savitri says who am i she says you are a mere mortal she says no i am not mortal because she has discovered her immortality so death says oh i cannot stop you because you have discovered who you are so he goes to the next level death says what do you want i want satyavan back it cannot be it is a law and i am the keeper of the law yama is also the guardian of the law in darkness he says you may be the keeper of the law but i come from him who has created the law so again yama doesn't know what to answer so he says why do you want to bring him back she says because of love you know this beautiful this in divine comedy this play of dante beautiful play that at the end he says because of love i have come back i am saved by love the love that built the stars so you know she says so death says oh love sentimental idealism another fool talking about love i have heard of it it's a chemical secretion it's a glandular anomaly it's an error in the brain all this he tells him all modern psychiatry death tells savitri she says i am not talking of that love i am talking of that love which has built the stars and breathes in the sun it flows in the breeze it climbs up in the trees wakes up in man seeks for the divine i am talking of that love which holds all things together so he says this is someone else this is not a mere ordinary woman so at the end by then death has led her to the last stages where beyond that threshold he cannot allow her to enter he says look you have the knowledge do you have the power and then there is a beautiful description that the incarnation thrust aside her veil and shobindra describes how savitri emerges in her flaming light and death is surrounded by her licked away and then he is transfigured a beautiful form comes back and that form says savitri what do you want she says yes the same will i want satyavan back on earth he says but you both can stay forever in the beatitude of heaven lords him lords her you can remain boundless satyavan into boundless savitri can remain in the high worlds he says no i want him for earth now satyavan is the soul of man which is needed along with the divine grace and that description just for a moment i'll read when savitri is given by this by the divine that look you have a choice of merging into nirvana you have a choice of entering into a higher world where both of you can dance together like krishna and the gopis and forever be happy savitri says no she says i climb not to thy everlasting day even as i have shunned thy eternal night who was night the shadow death it is a mask behind him is the light he says no even your eternal day i don't want i have shunned the night i shun thy day so what do you want 
Thence he speaks about earth. Earth is the chosen place of mightiest souls. Earth is the heroic spirit's battlefield. The forge where the archmation shapes his works. Thy servitudes on earth are greater king than all the glorious liberties of heaven. He says, heaven, we are all coming from that heaven. Why do we need to go back there? This is my place of work and I need Satyavan for this work. So then, you know, she convinces him and he initially resists but eventually he gives this boon and then Savitri comes back with Satyavan. So obviously after some few hours, Satyavan wakes up with a gasp and he feels that something has happened during this phase. And um, he asks Savitri that it looks like we have seen upon the face of God and our life has been touched with divinity. That's all he feels. He doesn't know all the drama that has taken place. Meanwhile, because of Savitri's boons, all these, uh, the king has got his side, the kingdom, and he comes and they look at Savitri and they see that she is wearing a glow on her face. She is no more looking like an ordinary human being, but something extraordinary has happened. And they ask, what has happened? So, Savitri says, First she says to Satyavan, Our love has grown greater by that mighty touch and learned its heavenly significance. Yet nothing is lost of mortal love's delight. Heaven's touch fulfills but cancels not our earth. This is the quintessence of Sri philosophy. Heaven's touch fulfills but cancels not our earth. It's not that we have to lose the earth for the heaven. We have to fulfill earth with the touch of heaven. And then these sages who come, they ask uh, Satyavan, what has happened? Looks like something has changed. So Satyavan simply says to them, lay all on her, she is the cause of all. He says, I don't know what has happened, but I just fell down in her lap and I wake up and I feel that I have seen God. How can that be? But it has happened. So he gives this secret. Then they finally turn to Savitri <coughs> and ask her, Savitri, you tell us what gleaming marvel of the sky. Something has happened today. Now this started with that, this context that why divinity is not shown in a woman in fantastic ways because women express divinity through acts of self-giving as the Divine Mother. So here is Savitri's reply, which is again the quintessence of Sri Aurobindo's yoga. <clears throat> First they ask, then one spoke there who seemed a priest and sage, or rather before it, Satyavan first tells the sage, sages, if this is she, referring to Savitri, of whom the world has heard, wonder no more at any happy change, each easy miracle of felicity of her transmuting heart the alchemy is. So he says, look, all that I can say is that with Savitri around everything is possible. But what has happened to me, don't ask me. So then the sages turned to her. Then one spoke there who seemed a priest and sage. He speaks to Savitri. O woman's soul, what light, what power revealed Working the rapid marvels of this day, 
opens for us by the happier age that what is the power that you are bringing that suddenly today lot of good things have happened the king has found sight it is a symbol of we our blind mortal ignorance changing into a divine sight he has found this kingdom again the plenitude of a greater life and it seems satwan almost had a stroke or a heart attack and he has recovered without 911 so what what has happened so look at shivendra's description her lashes fluttering upwards now you know people think shivendra is only abstract philosophy just see the poetic description of a woman who is incarnation of god how she replies she doesn't say oh you don't know me you don't worship me you have not come with a pushpa mala you don't know i am god god doesn't say that everybody else says god doesn't say that she says her lashes fluttering upwards gathered in to a vision which had scanned immortal things for a moment she remembered all that transpired in those few hours her vision that had scanned immortal things rejoicing human forms for their delight they claimed for their deep childlike motherhood the life of all these souls to be her life in that one moment she suddenly felt all these people who have come here they're all my children she experienced that state claiming all of them as her children but she has not yet spoken a word then falling veil the light lo she replied then she veils that light because you know they will know who she is and then what does she reply some of my favorite lines they say what has happened why all this miracle happened so after all this battle and conquest savitri has this to say awakened to the meaning of my heart this is the last page of savitri awakened to the meaning of my heart that to feel love and oneness is to live definition of life never knew this definition we are taught to breathe this life to reproduce this life heartbeat is life to feel love and oneness is to live very profound but we'll not get into this because it'll spoil the beauty of these four lines and this the magic of our golden change is all the truth i know or seek o sage awaken to the meaning of my heart that to feel love and oneness is to live and this the magic of our golden change is all the truth i know or seek o sage in one of his short poems god shobindo describes what is god who is god what is the sign of divinity and he says o thou who pervadest all the worlds below yet sittest above so even in darkness he descends even though he is transcendent above thou who disdainest not the o thou who sittest pervadest all the worlds below yet sittest above master of all who work and rule and know servant of love he chooses to become a servant when you love him servant of love o thou who disdainest not the worm to be nor even the clod therefore we know by that humility that thou art god when shobindo withdrew from a mortal sight 5 december his body remained aglow for 5 days with the supramental light 
tens of thousands of people passed by and the body was not kept in any preserved something and then after five days the light began to withdraw and Shubhindu's body was entered into the samadhi the mother looks at the samadhi and prays let them worship thee to thy heart's content to their heart's content she is addressing to the Lord that let people worship thee to their heart content I am happy to be only thy servant and to do thy work upon this earth so that is the beauty of the feminine approach to the divine that the feminine can give itself the feminine in us in everybody there is a feminine side and Shurbindo strongly insists or rather strongly encourages that in yoga there are two approaches one is the masculine approach the approach of tapasvaya I will do this, I will do that, I will do this exercise, I will do that exercise. There is too much of I, like the typical man. I am this, I am that, I have done this, I have done that. Women will quietly make the food and go away. And man will come and enjoy, not even say thank you so much, it was nice. So, the masculine approach is I, tapasya. And the woman approach is self-giving, surrender, love, oneness. And because she loves and because she experiences oneness, she doesn't even claim. Because there are no really two. When she does something for a child or the husband or parents, she doesn't feel she's doing for somebody else. That's the beauty. She's doing for somebody who is a part of herself. This is inbuilt. Whereas when a man does, he does it for somebody else. Look, I cooked this meal for you. Ten times he will remind, you know, that day I cooked it for you. (laughs) Women will do it every day. But she will never ever mention it. Someday when she is Kali, then it's okay. You know, Gauri and Kali are two sides of the same coin, same truth. (laughs) So this is Savitri and many other things. So this is a legion which is rich with inner symbol and significance. Shubhinda has taken that framework. Framework is very simple. As I said, there are just about, you know, 700 lines in the entire Savitri episode narrated in the Mahabharata. But Sri has expanded it into nearly 24,000 lines. So what has he filled in? He has crammed the universe into it. All the yogic realizations, all the higher possibilities, the entire story of earth seen from God's eyes, the agenda of the divine upon earth, the deepest philosophies, the most profound truths, everything he has crammed into Savitri. So he's used this framework because it was a framework which allowed to put in. So Ashapati's tapasya to bring Savitri becomes in Savitri, Shyobindu Savitri, the anguish and aspiration of man to bring a greater power on earth. Look, and so he, you know, the entire tapasya, the approaches through which mankind has sought that power, all the approaches find their, you know, culmination and justification here. Savitri, the child born out of tapasya, is the descent of divine grace embodied upon earth. So the mystery of the divine incarnation. You know, Veda is full of truths except one thing. The mystery of the divine incarnation. Which because that comes with the Krishna legend. Which fulfills. Because in Veda it's there as a longing. But the divine incarnating it's missing. And that comes in, the, in, in Savitri as that legend of Savitri coming down. All these spiritual paths and the final transfiguration. Winning back Satyavan from the clutches of death. It is the greatest possible victory. It's not just finding, going beyond death, 
but bringing immortality in the home of death. That is why Savitri legend is rich with this possibility. That's why he used it to give his divine vision. And of course it is mantric and just reading it, I not only believed, I have seen magical experiences and so many persons, um, beautiful stories, I hesitate to say them because then it looks like, you know, another person talking about miracles too, you know, (laughs) but that's not the idea. Each one has to discover the miracle within oneself. But it is so true that just reading Savitri can take us to the greatest possible realizations of this yoga. And as the mother says, without the help of a living guru. This is the power of Savitri. Yes, Stavros, please. I just like to ask about Satya Yuga. Is that the Satya Yuga to come, this, this, this uh, coming down of the Superman? Because the Satya Yuga, it's always going in circles, which means that if it comes, it will finish again. Yes. So this one, is it something which maybe the Earth will come again down circle? But what about those who have that super, uh, supramental consciousness? Will they continue with that? Very beautiful question. And in fact, it, um, it touches upon a side which we have not touched upon. The cycles of creation, which are mentioned in all uh, traditions. I mean, we have the Golden Age and the Silver Age. And so in Indian tradition, we have Satyuga, Dwapar, Treta and Kalyo. Now, each yuga, just a little background, then we'll come to that. Each yuga is when God takes up one aspect of creation and works upon it. So Satyuga is when he works upon the straight away upon the soul, on the spiritual consciousness. So it is full of deep, profound experiences. In Treta, he works upon the mental consciousness. So what is given to man is a dharma, an ideal, a way of living, which the mind, reason, the highest possible reason decides. Then the Dwapar, the heroic age, when the vital of man must not only understand the dharma mentally, but live by that impulsion. So Dwapar. And then Kalyug, where divine working goes into matter and it liberates the divine possibilities of matter which we see happening you know in this this cycle of kalyuk so no age is devoid of god it's just that god works on different aspects in kalyuk god has to veil himself in the spirit in the mind and the heart so it's difficult to find him there but it's easier to find him by digging into matter scientists have got this clue so the same truths they are discovering at a material level now the beauty of these cycles is that after Kalyug there is not the return through Dwapartreta and Satyug, but directly into a Satyug. So Shurabhinta reveals it's a spiral ascent. So one goes to a Satyug, comes down to a Kalyug, but the next ascent is a greater Satyug. So the first Satyug and the second Satyug, there is something we have gained from this entire experience and the next Satyug is even greater. So Satyug is not a return back to the same point. It is the return to the same state of consciousness but one notch higher. So the spiritual seeking and spiritual experiences in the second phase of Satyuga, let us say, then the first one will be more higher, more integral. And there have been six such cycles till now. This has been talked about in traditions. But there are traditions more ancient than the Vedas and the Kabbalas, very ancient traditions, Chaldean or even before that, 
which spoke about the seventh creation which will be a creation of equilibrium meaning thereby it's no more destroyed it continues to evolve beyond and beyond and perhaps when it is said that a kingdom of heaven on earth will come or maitre amitava buddha will return as maitre amitava for redeeming whole mankind this is what is probably hinted or in ramayana the ram rajya which establishes itself that in the seventh cycle when the seventh satyug comes it's not for disintegration but a progressive equilibrium by assimilating the diverse aspects of creation creation and forging a synthesis with which everything evolves together and uh, the mother and shobindo say that this is the seventh creation so after this there is no more pralaya but a progressive evolution as if one may say so till now the evolution is from darkness to light then like death there is a phase of darkness then light then again a phase of death like a pralaya and another but now it will be from light to greater light from freedom to greater freedom from joy to greater joy so that will be the next phase of evolutionary cycle so this is the vision that mother and shubhendra have given yes 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 <laughs> may yes for for the few billion years by then i am sure because this new being will surely find sustenance through other ways and means as of now it is a need to turn to the sun you know solar energy should become our means so but for a few billion years you know this evolution to the supramental will take maybe another 1000 years or at the most couple of 1000 probably less definitely less so at least we have billion years of that state and surely these beings who will no more need food mother has said they will not need food to sustain themselves but directly draw energy from within from everything so surely they'll find other means to illuminate and function as of now we need this physical sun for its evolution so that many possibilities may emerge in the future we still have billion years but that's a valid question <laughs>